0: Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. Evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the Bible study. We're still in Job, in case you wondered. We're still there, and I hope you're being blessed by this. I sure am. Every time I teach, I learn. And I also appreciate your feedback. I learn from you as well. So the book of Job is our title of this series is the question of the ages why, and we are on a, a portion of teaching that the title is knowledge without wisdom. So Epiphaz is the first guy to Eliphaz. Excuse me, Eliphaz is the first guy to speak. He's probably the oldest, one of the friends and uh, most renowned, most authoritative, and he has things and he says things that are true. But his problem is how he applies that truth. Much of what he discusses does not apply to Job, even though that should be where the focus is at. And many times we may do the same thing. We have the knowledge, but we just don't know how to apply it correctly. And many people have knowledge, but what they really lack is wisdom. And wisdom is defined as the correct understanding of truth and the proper application of truth. Wisdom means you, you understand with knowledge, but you also know how to apply it correctly. And so Eliphaz says that Job can call on God all he wants, but God will not answer him. And so our first point is this, calling on God should be our first resort, not our last. And so Eliphaz is inferring that Job must have done something wrong, and that is why God will not answer him. Have you ever ever had a time where you felt like the heavens were brass? You're praying, but your prayers just don't, don't seem to be being heard. And that's what Eliphaz is trying to say about Job. Your prayers are not being heard, Job. And sometimes we may feel the same way. Lord, are you hearing me? I'm crying out to you. I'm pouring my heart out to you. Read through the Psalms. You know, the psalmist many times said, Lord, where are you? Are you listening? And of course the Lord is, but... It just shows that raw emotion, those feelings at times where we wonder, God, are you there? And so Eliphaz is trying to let Job know, you know what? It doesn't matter what you do, Job. God's not going to listen to you. Now, there there are times where the Bible says God won't hear our prayers when we hide sin in our heart. And here's a big one. When husbands mistreat their wives, God will not hear their prayers. So there are times where God hears us but won't respond to us. Because of things like that. And so Eliphaz says trouble doesn't come from just nowhere. It's got to come from somewhere. And Job, in your case, it came from you. Your trouble is your fault. And because he doesn't have all the information, Eliphaz comes to a wrong conclusion. He doesn't have all the information. And yet he makes a judgment. And number two in our notes that we studied last week is wrong assumptions about God lead to wrong conclusions about life. We think God is a certain way and so we expect life to be a certain way. The problem is is we don't know God fully enough to make that judgment in life. Eliphaz assumes just because he saw one foolish man suffering, then Job's suffering must mean that he too is a fool. He saw one guy who was a fool and was suffering and therefore he came to the conclusion anyone who suffers must be a fool. Now, one of the things I'm so glad I am free of as a parent is science projects. (laughs) Um, Anybody with me? I mean, your kids have a science project that you end up doing, and you do all the work and still get a C minus. And I, I hated science projects. I know it's a good thing, those of you who are teachers, don't be offended, but I hated them with a passion. I had four kids. I had to do science projects for like 20 times. And I, you know, and I and my experiments would fail or nothing would really happen. And, and then trying to come up with something new. And so one of the things about the scientific method is you have to have more than one example, right? So maybe you had a lot of people do this, they try to grow a plant, one with, you know, water, one with Coca-Cola and see which plant is healthy. Well, you can't just do one plant and one plant. You've got to do 10 plants on each side. You've got to have more, more proof than that for the scientific method. It can't just be one thing. And yet, here is Eliphaz. He saw one fool suffering, so therefore, all that suffer must be fools. He's not following the scientific method. I'll give him an F on his science project. <laughs> one of the fun ones I did and it was we... We had a pellet gun and Jaden would heat the pellets in the oven and we would see how, when he would shoot the pellet, how deep it would go through a ream of paper. And so our theorem was that if uh, the projectile is heated, it will go further through the paper than a projectile that is room temperature and then we had projectiles that were frozen. And then I was, then I was informed, you're not allowed to do guns for science projects. <laughs> Times have changed. Remember the days when you could ride around in your truck with your gun in the back window? Those days are over forever. Especially kids would drive to school that way with their gun in their truck and in the back window. I miss those days. So Eliphaz says, Job, I saw a fool like you. And because he doesn't have all the information, he comes to a wrong conclusion about Job. And that's what happens to us sometimes. We don't We don't have all the information, and we make a judgment about someone's life. And we always need to be careful of that because Jesus died for everyone. I remember one time I was walking through the mall and there were some teenagers walking with their pants down around their ankles or their knees, you know, and I just, I kinda stuck my nose up in the air and I felt the witness of the Holy Spirit say, Jesus said, I died for them too, just like you. It was like, wow, sorry God, I repent. Because he, he wants to save everyone. And so we should look at everyone with the understanding that Jesus died for them too. And so here we are, Eliphaz judges Job wrongly, and then he digs himself a deeper hole. Eliphaz, he's digging, he's going to go even deeper. And so here it is, Job 5, verse 8. But if it were I, I would appeal to God. This is Eliphaz speaking. I would lay my cause before him. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. He bestows rain on the earth, and he sends water upon the countryside. The lowly he sets on high, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He thwarts the plans of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. He catches the wise in their craftiness, and the schemes of the wily are swept away. Darkness comes upon them in the daytime. At noon they grope as in the night. He saves the, poor, uh, the needy from the sword in their mouth. He saves them from the clutches of the powerful. So the poor have hope and injustice shuts its mouth. So intertwined here is some truth. He's making some true observations. But intertwined with these things, he's making wrong judgments. And the key verse in this paragraph is verse 8. And as I said last week, beware of, be of any advice that begins the words, If I were you. Because they aren't you, and it's not going to be the same circumstance every time. So number three, and this is where we left off knowledge without experience does not equal wisdom. You can have knowledge that you've never been able to apply. You don't have the experience. You may have read it in a book, but how many of you know, sometimes in real life it's different than the book, not the book, but you know whatever book you're studying. Real life can be very different. What worked in the lab may not work out in real life. And so, you know, I'm not against knowledge. I think everyone should pursue knowledge, especially knowledge of God. But knowledge without applying it, without being able to use it in real life experience is not wisdom. And so Eliphaz is in no position to give Job advice. He hasn't lost his children. He hasn't lost his wealth. And yet here he is looking down on Job and making judgments about him. He has not experienced what Job is going through. Few people in the world ever have. And so he has he has the bravado to say if I were in your shoes, Job, I would appeal to God and make my case before him. And unfortunately, Job takes this advice and attempts to plead his case before God. And Job will demand that God come down and answer him, and God will And so when God comes down and asks Job some questions, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job does a total 180. Instead of demanding that God come down, he says this, Job 42, verse 1. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know you can do all things, no plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, 'Who who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Number four, God knows everything I know, but I don't know everything God knows. God knows everything about us. He, he not only knows about us right here, right now, but what we're gonna do tomorrow, the next week. God already knows. And you know what's amazing to me is, because God is not bound by time. Past, present, and future do not hold God, he's he's infinite, he's beyond time. And what amazes me is, for example, King Ahab, which was one of the most wicked kings of Israel, and Jezebel, King Ahab at one moment repented before God. And and, And in that moment, God forgave him and loved him, knowing full well that Ahab would turn away from God later on. God knew that. But in that moment, he loved him and he received him. I want you to know God knows where we're going to fail him tomorrow and the next day and the next month, and yet he still loves you right here, right now. That's amazing. If we had that foreknowledge, I don't know if we could love people that way, knowing, well, they said they're sorry, but they're going to do it ten hundred more times. But God can. He can love people no matter what mistakes they have made and are going to make he still loves us in the here and now now some things are just too wonderful for us to know what does that mean what do you think that means when job says some things are too wonderful for me to know what does that mean anybody have a a clue an idea yes Right. He's got bigger things for us and we have to let go of the things that we're holding on to before he can allow us to That's great. It's the great exchange. Right. What, what God gives us is far greater than anything we give him. And yet we can't receive what God has for us until we're ready, willing to let go of what we have right here. Good point. Any other thoughts on too wonderful for us to know? There's, there are just some things in this life, that are too wonderful for us to know. Yes, Ike in the back. The says, My ways are the yes. It is. And, and, and like you said, from Isaiah 55, his ways are so much higher. His thoughts are so much higher. There's just no way we can understand that. What else do you think? It, it's kind of interesting phrasing. It's, some things are too wonderful. Not too bad, not too miserable, too negative, but some things are too wonderful for us to know. What do you think that means? How could something be, if, if it's wonderful, shouldn't we know it? But we, we can't figure it out. We don't have the capability of doing Very good. So it can be wonderful, but we still don't comprehend it. We don't, we don't see the wonder in it. And I'm telling you, was was the crucifixion wonderful? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was horrible. It was terrible, but it was wonderful because of what it represented. Someone else. Yes. Yes. Amen. For the Lord says, I know I have plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Yes. Yes. And what's what's interesting is like you said, God knew what how this was going to turn out. God knew he was going to bless Job double of what he had before. And so maybe Job is realizing as terrible as this experience was, maybe there was something wonderful about how it ended. And a lot of times, you know, we haven't seen the end yet. We haven't written the final chapter, and so we're making We're making a judgment right now and we don't know what's about head. And how many times have we given up right before God was gonna come through? And and so the reality is there are certain things about life and about God we will not understand on this side of eternity. But one of the great things about going to heaven is the Bible says we will know as we are known. I think that's in 1 Corinthians 12. Then there, there comes a time when you will know everything. You'll know all the questions you had you wanted answered, you will, you will know, and you will know the Lord. You will see Jesus face to face, and won't that be wonderful? So everything, even the hard things that lead to that is wonderful. And so Job spoke of things that he did not understand or appreciate, because in the result, it was wonderful. It was terrible through the experience, but the end result was something wonderful. And I think we need to realize the circumstances we're in right now in our life do not, may not feel like they're wonderful. It may not seem to be beautiful. But in God's eyes, they are, because he sees things that are not as though they are, and he will bring them to pass. And so sometimes, this is a good thing to say, if you don't understand just quote Job. Some things are too wonderful for me to know. That's kind of, and isn't Job kind of letting go? Remember, he demanded an answer. I, God, you owe me an answer. You come down here, and God comes down, and then Job kind of says, I'm gonna just let go of those questions. I don't think God's afraid of our sincere questions, but how many know there, there comes a time when we need to stop asking? When I was uh, probably 10 or 11, maybe a little older, 12 years old. We went to visit our cousins in Idaho and they had bought new motorcycles, Honda 125s. And we were riding them all over the place. And so I wanted a motorcycle. My mom called them a murder cycle. And so I thought, you know what? I'm gonna wear her down because I want a motorcycle so bad. And so every, every 30 seconds, mom, can I have a motorcycle? no mom, can I have a motorcycle? No. And that went on until one, until it was probably a few days I was getting to her. She finally said, I've already told you, don't ask me again. Because she, had she answered? Yeah, Yeah, the answer was no. (laughs) And so I realized by the look in her eyes, I've seen that look, that I needed to stop asking the questions. It's okay to ask God the question. Let me say it this way. It's okay to ask God questions, but it's not okay to question God. There's a difference. We can ask God questions, but when we question God, we're putting him on the witness stand. And he does not deserve to be there. We, we are. So just think about that. It's, it's okay to ask God questions, but it's not okay to question God. Because that, that is an accusation against his character against his holiness, against his omnipotence. And so, and, in, and when God says no, it's time to start ask, stop, stop asking. And by the way, two years later, I got a Kawasaki 70. So I finally did get a motorcycle, uh, but it, I had to be old enough for it. And, and let me tell you, it, it was great. And sometimes, checked out, there we go that's what God's doing. He's going to give you your desires, but not now. And if we give up or if we question God, we may miss out on the promise. Someone in the back. Yes. It's okay. You're among friends. It's okay, you're fine. Believe me, I feel like crying up here all the time. Sure. dystrophy Yeah. But it's, it touches to what you're saying as when we questioned. How was God going to know 20 years later I was going to ask this question and he was going to bring to me a person who was not only healed, but healed in my church? Yeah. yeah. So, and so when I was driving back, I called my sister in law and I was like, Marco, I, I will never question God again. Mm-hmm. I probably will, let's be honest. Sure. <laughs> sure. But, but not enough that. Yeah. Amen. He is healed, completely healed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Yes. And he, us. he does. He is our heavenly Father, and when a little kid keeps asking, "Why is the sky blue? Why is the sky blue?" He doesn't smack him. <laughs> and so God is patient with us. Thank you for sharing that testimony. Isn't God good? He set that all up years ago for you. How much, do you see how personal God is in your life? That he would wait a decade or, or two before he sent someone to speak into your life. Be watching for that because God, in many ways, does that. He'll bring people across our path that, you know, help us get a little closer to knowing God. So that was awesome. So. Eliphaz goes on in detail in this paragraph about qualities that God has, and they're quite accurate. He knows some, but not all, and a little knowledge can be dangerous. With limited knowledge, Eliphaz makes this huge false assumption. Let's pick up at Job 5.17. His speech is going on and on forever. Blessed is the man who God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. From six calamities he will rescue. In seven no harm will befall you. Again, this is Eliphaz talking. In famine he will ransom you from death, and in battle from the stroke of the sword. You will be protected from the lash of the tongue, and need not fear when destruction comes. You will laugh at destruction and famine, and need not fear the beasts of the earth. For you will have a covenant with the stones of the field and with the wild animals will be at peace with you. You will know that your tent is secure. You will take stock of your property and find nothing missing. You will know that your children will be many and your descendants will, are like the grass of the earth, you will come to the grave in full vigor like sheaves gathered in season. So he is saying, if you're right with God, all these right things will happen. And if these right things aren't happening, then you're not right with God. According to Eliphaz, now the question is: Does God discipline His children? Absolutely. Absolutely. Look at Hebrews 12:4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten that the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons: My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when He rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those He loves, and He punishes everyone He accepts as a son or daughter. So when we sin, God will discipline us for our good, just as any loving parent disciplines their children when they do wrong. Now, my, my grandchildren turned one this last weekend. I got to go to their party, and they can do no wrong. But I imagine when they're two, they can. <laughs> Things change. And so the question is, has Job sinned? But has he, in this instance, he certainly has in his life. But one thing we will, we will learn is that in this, in this test, he doesn't sin against God. In fact, it says in all of this that took place, Job still did not sin. Now, he, you're exactly right. He certainly did sin other times in life. But during this test period, he hadn't sinned. And so Eliphaz is infer, inferring that Job has sinned. And that's why he's suffering, because he's being punished. And it's true that God disciplines those who sin. Yes, it's true. But is it true that that is what is happening to Job? No. So Job is not being punished or disciplined for any sin. So why is Job being disciplined at all? He, he is being disciplined, right? Right. I mean, he's going through the trial of his life, and, and God, disciplines, God disciplines us when we sin and sometimes when we haven't sinned because he wants us to grow, and he wants us to be strengthened. And so what do you think? The, God disciplines us. There's always a lesson. There's always a reason. There's always a purpose. And so what, why is Job being disciplined? Anybody have any ideas? It's not because of sin. I think it's so that there will be a testimony for future. Exactly, Job is being disciplined. It's for us, not not for him. How many know? Well, maybe we don't want to know this. God may discipline you not for you, for someone else. For some reason. And you are exactly right. We've had the testimony of Job for thousands of years and and people go to it all the time to find comfort and consolation. And so Job went through this disciplining moment and it it, it wasn't just for him. It was for generations to come. So what if God brings hardship into your life, not because you've done anything wrong, but because he wants to help someone else? I think that's where it gets difficult, when we go through the hardship to, that benefits somebody else. But again, God knows what he's doing, and it may be something like two decades ago, someone prayed, and God is answering it through your hardship. And I, as we study Job, I want us to, to really go deep and in our faith and say, okay, I don't like this necessarily, Lord. I don't totally understand it. It's too wonderful for me to know. But I want to learn to trust you anyway. And it is a fact that during times of tragedy where many people turn away from the Lord because, again, their theology was wrong. And they thought that if if they were only good, nothing bad would happen. It's amazing how this theology... Has continued for generations, and we all have a little bit of it in us as well. And so, number five, God disciplines sin, but not all hardship is due to sin. So, you may be, again, being disciplined for another reason or for someone else's sake. Job's not suffering because he sinned, he hasn't done anything wrong. But he's, being, but he's going through this difficult season, this time of discipline. And so Eliphaz keeps harping on that. Job, if you just do the right thing, you'll never fear calamity again. He basically says, if you're good, nothing bad. This is cookie-cutter Christianity, and it's not accurate. Now, much of what he says is true, and, and, but the question is, are these specific promises of God, or are they general principles of life? Are they guarantees or are they guidelines, the things that Eliphaz is promoting? Now, when we buy something, especially if it's electronic, we, we want to know what the warranty is, right? And then they always say, would you like the extended warranty? And so you, we're like, well, if it's not good enough with the first warranty, why do I have to get a second warranty? But how many of us have got that extended warranty besides myself? Yeah, I can admit. So I got these Apple earbuds. They're not cheap. In fact, I was using a cheaper pair and I was having frustration. So I I dove in, it was a little over $100 and got these Apple earbuds and then promptly washed them in the washing machine. (laughs) Because where do you put them when you don't have the case with you, you know? And it's like, okay, I'll, I'll put it in my pocket and I'll remember. Now, I, I want to ask a question between men and women. This could get ugly. Who's responsible for checking the pockets? The one who wore the pants or the one washing the pants? What do you think? Those, okay, let's, let's have a scientific vote. This will be for your science project for your daughter. So how many believe it's the responsibility of the one who wore the pants to check the pockets? (laughs) Ronnie's the alone one. Now who's now who believes it's the whoever's doing the dishes? Okay. (laughs) Or the laundry, the dishes. (laughs) The dishes don't even have anything to do with this. I've totally messed up the experiment. I blew the experiment. Yeah, that's right. No, I won't dare do that. So I washed my earbuds, and guess what? I didn't have the extended warranty. Did you try rice? I did try rice, and so I was able to listen to them, but I couldn't use it. The microphone wouldn't work. (laughs) So after putting up with this, you know, nobody can hear me when I'm talking to them. These are worthless. I went and bought another pair. This time, I got the extended warranty, and now they're acting weird, (laughs) and I can't find the warranty. That's the other, they're banking on the fact you're not going to be able to find the warranty two years from now. Now, it's probably on, you know, I could probably look it up on my email address or something like that. But we are all about guarantees. We want a guarantee this thing is not going to break on me. And, and the reason is, is because we've been burned before. We spent a lot of money and the thing breaks and then there's no warranty. And so, and what we don't realize is they make more money, profit margin on the extended warranty than the product. Not more money, but a margin, a greater margin. And so that's why they're told to ask you every time you buy something electronic, would you like the extended warranty? Because they're gonna make serious bank on that extended warranty. And it's, it's because they realize people will not follow through for them. It's been years. I mean, especially if you've got a five-year extended warranty, you're not going to even remember what that was about. But do you know what? That carries over into our relationship with God. We want guarantees. God, if I do this, I want a guarantee. And the question is, are there guarantees? Is, is there any guarantee in life, especially when it pertains to suffering? Is there any guarantee that we won't suffer? In fact, there is a guarantee we will. And, you know, we we want guarantees. Now, what's the difference between a promise and a guarantee? Because God doesn't give guarantees. He gives promises. So God does give promises. So what is the difference between a guarantee and a promise as it relates to God? Yes, yes. True, details of the guarantee. Conditions, yes. And and yet, it, God's promises are always true and amen, but there are, there are many of God's promises that are conditional upon our obedience. And so um, that's something to always keep in mind. The promise... My fault, I, I bunched up this cord here. So I'll stop reclining here. <laughs> try to stay up front. But the promises of God are true. They won't always happen in our time frame or even in this lifetime. But many of those promises are up to us when they come to fulfillment. And, and yes, the guarantees, <laughs> they're, they're very specific conditions. And so I want you to know that it's okay to, to seek the promises of God. yes. that's true that's right yeah because it, it's it's like you said it's only as good as the one making the the guarantee or the promise and that's why we we should want promises because we know God is behind the promises and I believe that we should stand on the promises of God we should list them out from the scripture and proclaim those promises of God that he's going to bless us he's going to give us a hope and a future. These are the promises of God that we should be declaring over our lives. But at the same time, we need to not be expecting these guarantees that nothing bad will ever happen. So seek the promises, not guarantees. Yes? So if the rain falls on the just and the unjust, maybe the difference is how we react as a Christian. Very good. Yeah, do, do unsaved people suffer? Yes? But let it be the hope that we suffer differently, that we re- react differently, that we have a, a better attitude, because that alone can be a great witness, how we respond to suffering. And it's similar to Job and his three friends. How is Job responding to this suffering? It probably wasn't his best moment in, some t- in certain cases, but he certainly did better than his friends, because they believed in guarantees. Yes? Yes? Yeah, boy, that's good. There, there is a part of God's heart in every promise, whereas, you, as you said, guarantee, uh, guarantees are, are specific and, and kind of cold in general. But the promise of God contains his heart. That's an excellent point. So God has guaranteed certain things. Here's one, John sixteen thirty three. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. That sounds like a promise. <laughs> but take heart. Don't, don't stop the promise right there. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Part, part of, a large part of the Christian life is being an overcomer. You know, the Christian life is not supposed to be easy all the time. It's supposed to be victorious. And you can't have a victory without a battle. And so so much of our life, God is calling upon us to overcome, through the power of, of Jesus, overcome these things. And 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 that's why he says, You're gonna have trouble, but I've overcome all the world. Yes. Very good. You're going to be so much stronger and better: Amen. And I've done so many funerals, and you can really tell about someone who's lived well, because we're all going to be in that box someday. And it'll, you'll find out everyone will find out how you lived that comes to your funeral and it's it's been remarkable. I've had some amazing, powerful spiritual funerals and I've had some of the most it's just terrible. I did a funeral one time and there was about 5 people there. And one was the son of the man who was dead. And he got he came forward and he said, "Well, my dad was the meanest man I know." And that was it. It's like turn it over to me and I'm like, "Wow, how do I recover from this? How do I finish this funeral?" And so, yeah, we're all going to f- We're all going to go through these experiences at some point in our life. How we respond to the current ones will determine how we respond to those as well. Let's read this in the Amplified Version. Jesus is speaking. I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you will have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer. Take courage Be confident, certain, undaunted. For I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you. So we see the promises of God right there. And let's see if I have time. No, I don't have time to finish that. So we'll pause it right there. And let's just go to the Lord. God, thank you for your promises. They are yes and amen. And Lord, you're so faithful to us. And God, I understand that we want guarantees, but you give us promises. And promises are better. They're from, the, they're from your heart. And so God, I just pray that you would help us walk out this journey and to serve you faithfully, Lord. And Lord, there are times we have genuine questions. And so Lord, when we ask those questions, I thank you that you respond as a loving father. And so Lord, I just pray for each and every one here tonight. Whatever they're going through, whatever they've been through, God, I just pray that we'd have that peace you've promised, Jesus. Thank you that you have overcome the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessings. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 30 AM in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com or download our app from the app store.